0: This is The Educated Home Buyer. Everything you need to know to buy right, borrow smart, and build wealth through real estate ownership. Welcome back to another live episode of The Educated Home Buyer. This is where Josh and I answer your mortgage and real estate questions right here on YouTube. While we talk about the economy, we talk about fun things like mortgage rates, Josh and everything happening for unlocked borrowers (laughs) and everything happening in the world of real estate so what's happened over the last week josh since we had our last fantastic live episode well the big one we uh we had the cpi figures
1: come out last week and we had our projections uh i think what uh headline was a little bit hot 0.1 hotter than expected Mm -hmm. core was right where expected Mm -hmm. um when you look at the underlying components um we'll look at a chart in here um it's it's definitely moderating it's funny how um market psychology works the market is concluded has concluded that the economy is hot and every bit of data supports that rates need to go higher like to me the only thing that that uh, justifies the level of rates that we have right now is wondering how the market is going to absorb all of the US
0: Treasury debt. That said, so what Monday, US manufacturing beat expectations. Tuesday, retail sales beat expectations. Today, housing starts and permits beat expectations. Uh, Q3 estimated GDP jumped from 3.5 to 4.3 with JP Morgan, the Atlanta Fed. Is now coming in at 5.4%. I don't understand, Josh, why you can't see the economy is hot and everything is good.
1: Well, let's talk about what you and I talked about earlier today is that at the beginning of every quarter, we see these numbers based, they're now casts based off of the data that's available. And I don't fully understand why, but at the beginning of the quarter, apparently that's when all the hot data comes out because uh, the beginning of each quarter, we've seen the Atlanta Fed throwing numbers out in the fives. Uh, We now see what JP Morgan or whoever it was saying that. And now as we progress towards the end of the quarter, we end up somewhere just slightly above 2%. And that will continue trending down. shown the charts over and over again, Um, it will continue to trend down. We do not have the recipe for continued hot GDP, but the market trades the beginning of every quarter, like, oh my God, the market is on fire. Look at that GDP now cast. And we have yet to see it play out over a full quarter in addition to getting downward revisions after the ends of the quarter. So um, it is what it is. Just got to roll with it. And and again, be very defensive. If you're in the market, if you're a buyer and you're under contract, um, there's really um, even the most risk on gambler types. It's just not a whole lot to say uh, potential benefit for not being locked right now.
0: Wow. That's great, Josh. I'm glad you feel that way. All right. So, let's get into some charts like we do every single week and then we'll start answering your questions. So, if you have questions, start putting them in the chat now. We'll uh we'll answer them kind of in the order that they're put in there. So, the earlier you get it in, the easier or the 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 more likely it is to get answered as we get more people in the chat. So, uh each week, Josh, we start with inventory. This week, inventory trickled up a little bit, now sitting at 546,450 homes. I think we gained about 9,000 week over week. Uh Orange County sitting at 2372, Huntington Beach at 185. So Both of those numbers are lower than last week. Overall, inventory is rising. Why? Homes are coming on the market, sitting longer, not going under contract because buyer demand is less due to high rates, which we've been talking about for the better part of 2023 uh national so this is that same chart that we used to use doesn't go back quite as far but goes back to 2019 just kind of shows you seasonality in the markets and kind of comparing where we are now to where we were last year the year before and even back prior to the pandemic to give you a little bit of context there so inventory even though it's up um, it's lower than we were this time last year and significantly lower than we were. Um, prior to the craziness in the market, and new listings, new listings are still not having, not really coming to the market. Right? It's that is that dark red line there at the bottom, and the reason for that is most people aren't listing their homes for sale right now. With with seasonality playing into it, with interest rates playing into it, people that can stay put are staying put. Inventory is growing merely because less people are going under contract. And then this is that weekly change we took a look at. We went from five thirty-seven uh, to five hundred thirty-seven thousand to five hundred forty-six thousand in inventory. We're we're now sitting uh, at the peak for the year. Inventory still has not quite peaked yet. Uh, last year this time we were at five sixty-seven, so we're still about twenty thousand or so short of where we were this time last year and for context back in 2015 we were at 1,177,000 and then this is the pending charts that we look at every single week uh you know newly pending last year was sitting at 55,000 this year we're at 52 um compared to 326 total versus 351 total right so rates are higher um than they were last year less buyers in the market so on and so forth just less demand out there is essentially what that chart is showing my mouse froze, so I can't get to the next chart, Josh. So you're going to have to help me out there, buddy. Maybe. Maybe. Are you uh, frozen as well?
1: No, I got you. You're, okay, you're, you there we go. Uh,
0: median list price. Uh, currently sitting at 439 Last year, we're sitting at 430 If you remember a couple of weeks ago, we were upwards of 450 So those medians are coming down. The list price are coming down. Again, it's just that time of the year for for things to slow down, and again, just rates are not helping the cause, as we've discussed. Price cuts still sitting, uh, still on the rise, sitting around 38% compared to last year at about 42%. So last year, this time was about the time we were peaking in rates, Josh. what We were hitting that seven number. Um, This year, we still haven't quite reached the peak. We're still seeing rates continue to go up, Uh, and then- that's primarily because we you know, volatility in the market. We've talked about it, just different things. The economy looks strong. And, you know, with that, the, you know, interest rates don't necessarily follow the 10 year, but the 10 year seems to mirror what 30-year fixed rates are doing. And as you can see from this chart here, and we're going to take a look at another one in just a moment, but this is going, this is Housing Wire's chart showing bond yields. And this is when it had peaked somewhere around 4.8 percent or so. We're actually a little bit higher than that, which we're going to see in a chart in just a moment. And then this is showing shelter inflation. Uh, Essentially, we've been talking about it moderating, being a lagging indicator. So what are we looking at here, Josh?
1: Uh, it's just Mark Zandy uh, over at Moody's Analytics kind of picked up on this, was running the numbers. It's showing that lag. So the green line, um, I forget whose data that is, but showing uh, that multifamily rent growth has, has moderated. But you'll see the way the CPI picks it up, there's a big <laughs> lag. So we didn't start picking up that decrease until early in 2023. And I had the data and somehow missed it, uh, missed where I saved it. But if I'm remembering correctly, If you were to look at where we're currently at, at that green line, and put that into the CPI figures, you have core CPI at like 2.2%. That's how big the shelter component is. So what I think we can say, going back to my comment earlier, I don't think the high interest rates right now are any more about inflation. It really is. You guys have heard of the bond vigilantes. They don't want to buy bonds. They're telling the government, stop spending money you morons don't have. Um, But That's where we're at. It really is a supply and demand issue. Uh, Demand from buyers of mortgage bonds is less than the supply that our government is putting into the market. we say mortgage bonds, going back to what Jeb said, mortgage bonds don't exactly follow treasuries, but there's always gonna be a premium to treasuries. Treasuries are the gold standard. They are the safest uh, bet that you can make. So mortgage-backed securities will always be a little bit higher, but follow fairly closely. So if 10 years go down, um, then you will see some buying move over to mortgage-backed securities. those yields will follow down. If 10 years go up, you will see people say, why would I buy a a treasury or a mortgage-backed security when I get the same yield in a treasury? So it's sort of like a dog on a leash. They're never going to get too far apart from each other, but the treasuries absolutely lead. And kind of the the highlighted portion there is something that Jeb has made the point of very regularly. Uh, This does not mean that rental prices are falling. They're just growing less quickly. So you're not going to pay less for rent. You're just not going to have as big of an increase. You see a word about a 2% uh, change over year over year. So uh, good news, but it's not magic. It's not great news. It just tells you that the inflation component here isn't really what's moving the market because Jeb and I are not geniuses. If we can reverse engineer this, the market knows that inflation is not really a problem and barring energy costs getting out of control because of higher oil prices unlikely to be Um, jeb pointed out correctly in, in several of his slides there seasonality 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 what we saw last year the weakest months of the year were coinciding with the highest rates but also at the time of the year when volume slides and you don't see a lot of appreciation. So this tells you that about 90% of the home price appreciation occurs between February and August. So when you see the headlines over the next few months that home prices are flat, home prices not going up as fast, or even home prices dropping month over month, that is to be expected. Um, this is not evenly distributed. So I actually did a, on our Reddit VA live last night, we were talking about the concept is now a good time to buy and wanted to relate some of the slides that we went through last night here Just showing all of the green arrows are still showing year over year price increases. You do have some markets that have year over year, mainly West Coast. High price coastal markets, um, markets that were heavily dependent on technology for their economy and those jobs are not doing as well. In addition to that, you've got Idaho markets, um, Utah, Colorado, Austin, uh, areas that had really appreciated a lot. People that left California for other Western markets that saw a, a lot of appreciation. So just wanted to give some context there. And again, we talk a lot here that real estate is local. Real estate is local. So if we look at this, we're going to go, hey, um, these are the areas that don't have a lot of home price growth. So if you're in Sacramento. If you're in Austin, Austin, the ones that come up, they are really an outlier, down 10% year over year, uh, according to Black Knight's data. But most of these um, s- small growth to small uh, decreases. But then we look here, we also have markets here, Hartford, Connecticut, up 12%, Virginia Beach, Virginia, up 7%, Kansas City, Missouri, up 6.8%. So almost everything that you're going to read in the media is national numbers. National numbers don't matter. If you're seeing, hey, that home prices are up two, three, four percent year over year, but you're in Austin, that's irrelevant to you. If you see something that, hey, home prices are flat or have dipped and you're in Hartford, not really going to help you when you're out in the market. So make sure you're dealing with a local expert that knows the market and can supply you with accurate data to make your decisions on. Jeb, this is just, again, a different look at that 10-year treasury uh, going back. So uh, 2020, we all know what happened there. COVID hits. We were already at low yields, somewhere around 2% on the the 10-year treasury, got down under a half percent and basically traded sideways through 21. And even though the 10-year was going up uh, throughout 21, or at least through the first half of 21, it took till the start of 2022 that we had the big run-up. We had a big run-up, a little correction in the middle of 2022. And what you were talking about, Jeb, here is from July-ish of 2022 through the end of the year, we had this big run-up. And then we had a nice correction in the earlier part of the year and traded sideways. And here we are again from about May of this year, a big run-up. Now, if you look at those blue lines that we drew there, just a long-term trend channel, we're at the high end of that. So one of the things, Jeb, that we always talk about is float when you're at the top of the channel, lock when you're near the bottom of the mm-hmm. channel. Well, it's been two years since we've been anywhere near the bottom of that channel, but it it really is telling us here that we should be at a, a near term peak. Um, the actual absolute number there, I think is about five and a quarter on the 10 year treasury, which is about a quarter percent higher than where we are right now. Another look at this is just kind of what I was saying, run up late last year, decrease early this year we're seeing a similar run up and then mr question yeah. mark eyes there are we going to see uh, another run down what scares
0: day me day. is that that if we go back to that chart we haven't hit that top trend line that that is what is concerning right is that there's probably room to still move up before you see that pullback hope not for for any meaningful pullback but we'll it see. doesn't
1: so you're, you're right it does not have to hit the top but nope it is likely that it will uh, at least a very good chance. We have a little bit of resistance at 5.0 on the 10 year. And after that gives away, you're really looking at five and a quarter. So it's about a quarter to three eighths of a percent higher in rates than we're at right now. And this one Jeb is the big headline that I'm sure everyone saw on their Google feeds popping up 30 year fixed rates hit 8%. Um, best qualified borrowers are still gonna be under that, but the majority of folks or anyone with slightly lower credit buying a non-owner occupied property, absolutely gonna be up in the in the, Rates at this
0: point no and with that said josh i will be the first to admit i was wrong i did not think rates would be at eight percent um you know it's funny a buddy who watches the show and a client of ours you know we're texting today i talked to him about business he deals with a lot of big businesses they do concrete work and um you know for big big companies disneyland and you know um universal studios and all of these. And he's essentially said like anybody that could put things on hold has put things on hold. Um, anybody that is already under contract, they're already doing work. The bids were already did that stuff gets completed. That's just how it works. But any new work that's done, it's not, it's not happening because these businesses have people forecasting the economy. They, they know what's going on and, and, and therefore they start to tighten their belts as things happen. And, you know it's a matter of time but it's just it's it's so crazy to me that none of the data at the moment is showing any signs of weakness i mean it is it is pretty remarkable that we're talking about numbers continually beating week over week that's all i got we're going home we're done that's that's
1: tonight's conversation
0: no i i just didn't know if you were frozen over there because that seems to be the uh the the norm over here how many times have i frozen Uh, a couple times a couple that's great that's fantastic all right so
1: your wife's looking for one of those pause buttons in real life
0: you know it's uh it's right there man just hit it just hit it uh that's it guys we are here to answer your questions so um, start putting your comments in there. We'll definitely uh, touch on them if we can. Uh, the, the goal here is to answer as many of these in as quick a time as possible. We're here for an hour, but I do want to plug a couple of things. Uh, first of all, those who follow the podcast that listen to the audio, everything was good. Audio was posted yesterday. Those of you who follow the podcast on YouTube, I apologize. I put the video for next Tuesday to be released instead of yesterday. So when I find out, found out yesterday about midday that it wasn't released, I had to go in and change it, so we released it today. So it was a day late. Anybody, any hard, uh, you know, podcast listeners to the, the the audio or the video, I apologize. Jeb's fault, one one hundred percent. But it is up there. But if you haven't listened to it, it's the idea of will millennials be able to buy houses with housing affordability being where it is, with house prices where it is. What what's what's the story look like? What has to change? So if you're interested in that at all. Go check it out on the podcast, on YouTube here. Um, And if if you find any value in it, hit the like, subscribe if you haven't done so already. Rate us and review us on the podcast. And here on this channel, if you find value in that first 15 or so minutes and you haven't done so already, hit that thumbs up. It helps the algorithm, helps push it out to more people, and helps us do what we're trying to do, which is help become um, or create, rather, more educated homebuyers. So, Josh, this question came in prior to the show ever starting. Um, and it's it's something that's floating around out there a lot. Um, and for reason, you know, reasonably so. Uh, but, but Torio 213 says, regarding the REMAX lawsuit settlement, do you guys think that will affect the home buying process and make it more difficult for buyers? So you and I were kind of talking as we came on the air because the question was there prior to us having this conversation right now. And so the idea here is that, for those of you not following, what happened is, Essentially, it's some of the National Association of Realtors has always basically required some sort of payment to be put in the buyer's compensation or the seller's, the selling agent's compensation. That's the one representing the buyer when a property is input online, if you will. So if, if you're a buyer's agent and you're helping a buyer buy a property, essentially the commission that was being paid to you 99 times out of 100, maybe even higher, 99.9% was being paid by the seller. The seller in theory was quote unquote required to pay that commission. Okay. Uh, but typically what happens is a seller offers a commission uh, and then the listing agent and the buyer's agent split that commission or it's devied up. So, but there was a requirement that there'd be something there. The, the lawsuit basically states now um, or as a, you know, it goes into full effect is that the buyer's compensation is no longer the seller's responsibility is more or less what it is. So the question, Josh, is how will that affect the buying process? I'm throwing that to you. I have my thoughts, but let's hear yours.
1: Yeah. So think about it. Uh, people don't really understand how it works. There's a There are commissions for both realtors involved in the transaction. Right now, what consumer advocates are trying to say is they're inflated because they're transparent to the buyer you're paying it and you're financing it in your purchase price but you don't see it you're unaware of it can't negotiate it and with that they're trying to unbundle it and say you're going to be responsible for paying your own agent so they okay cool that might lead to lower fees but so let's say that it does let's say that instead of your buyer's agent making two and a half percent they make one and a half percent but you have to come up with the one and a half percent. So you got to pay 1% less for the home, but it comes out of your pocket. We've run through the numbers of what it costs per thousand financed onto the loan. Jeb, it's just, I, I don't see any way that this benefits buyers. I,
0: I I look at that, Josh, and I say, if I'm a seller, if you're a seller, and I go to you and and say, for example, the last house that sold in your neighborhood was a million bucks. And we go to you and you say, What's my house worth? And I say, well, the last close comp, very close. It's a million bucks. And we talk about commission. What's the commission needs to be paid? Well, this is typically how it works. You're, you know, my fee is say 3%. Let's just say 3%. Am I required to pay the buyers? No. In this case, you're not required to pay the buyer's compensation, right? I recommend it, but you're not required to pay anything. So, you're paying my commission, nowhere in there did you reduce your price or say, I'm now willing to take less money because the buyer's compensation isn't part of my fees. Th- that's not how people think. A seller is not going to say, okay, so I'm not paying the buyer's fee now, so I'll just take less money or I'll negotiate a little bit more. No, that's not that's not reality. And so it's I, I don't see how This changes. The seller is going to be is going to net more money, but the buyer isn't getting a deal or getting a house for less money in this instance, in the way I look at it. Am I wrong?
1: Well, in the short run, that's absolutely correct because no one's going to go, Oh, I'll sell mine for less than the last guy because I'm paying less in commissions. In the short run, no change. (laughs) Over the long haul, you would think it would adjust and the the market would uh, absorb it and get used to that. But I don't mean long haul like 30 years, but three years, five years, seven years. It's not
0: going to happen overnight. But here's the thing. When you have an agent on the other side that says, like me, for example, I say, hey, listen, if you want to attract more buyers to this property, I I would recommend you pay a buyer's commission. It's going to net you more money. So every seller is not going to participate in this thing. Some sellers might, right? But I would say the sellers that understand how this whole thing works are less likely to be a part of that. That's the way I look at it. I, I, if you're looking to maximize the price on your house, you need the most eyeballs on that property. How do you get the most eyeballs on it? You, you, you pay a commission where, where people are incentivized to, 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 to show that property, to want to sell that property, to do those things. Am I wrong? Maybe, but I I just, I don't see a world where this becomes a hundred percent the, the new norm
1: it's it's a major change. And there, it's always great for someone to have a theory about, hey, we're going to save uh, a couple of nickels here for buyers. But even if it did, uh, let's go back. Say the, the proposal that I saw is, okay, let's say now that buyer's agents are getting 1.5%, 1%. Median home price over 450,000. So we're talking for at the entry level, 4,500 bucks on, you know, entry level here in Southern California, nine, $10,000. Most of my buyers don't have the money to pay it out of pocket. So Mm -hmm. I don't know how that's going to work or how that's going to benefit buyers. And anytime you have a systemic change that's proposed, when you get closer to the rubber hitting the road and people saying, oh, wait, that's not so awesome,
0: um, we'll see. We'll see how it all shakes out. Yeah. What happens is the buyer ends up going to, this, the listing agent in that case, because, you know, the, the listing agent is already making money. And now the listing agent goes back to the seller and says, Hey, listen, like now I'm representing two sides. We've got to figure, you know, I'm working dub. I don't know. I, I don't know because it's not all hundred percent laid out. I just, it's, it's going to hurt buyers at a hundred percent in the short run. If it becomes the norm, at least in my opinion, uh, logical thinker, uh, one of our old school watchers viewers here says, when you guys purchased your first primary residence, what was your DTI? What is the average DTI you're seeing right now for first time home So Josh, I have no idea what my first DTI was. Um, no, not even close. I, I just, I have no idea, no recollection of what it was. Um, but what are you seeing for first time home buyers?
1: Well, neither of us, I mean, even if I saw 15, 20 closings a month, that wouldn't be enough. And it would all to, to give you a realistic number and geographically we're, we're always going to be skewed higher here in Southern California. So the the data from black Knight is showing mid to high forties. So basically at the high end of what is possible under the current underwriting guidelines. And that's up from like low thirties as recently as 18, 24 months ago. Um, so from that perspective, uh, Is the information for Jeb or myself gonna help you? Probably not, but let's just say I bought my first condo in 97, I was making pretty good money at the time. Um, Rates were higher, prices were lower. So, uh, ran the numbers somewhere around 14, 15% on the housing to income ratio. Uh, and when we bought our current house in 2003, um, more expensive home, lower interest rate, making better money, it was somewhere you know, 18, 20%. So, again, doesn't really help anyone uh, looking at the market today to know where Jeb I were at. Um, I can tell you this. Talk to some folks today, their comfort level, very well qualified, first time buyers, young folks, both of them make about $125,000. So 250 annually, a little over $20,000. They're gonna be somewhere in the low 30s. So payment's still very high, but for them, the relative amount of that payment Not bad at at all uh, on a percentage basis. Do I talk to people all the time that are at 47, at a 49? Um, If we're on an FHA and we're talking all debts in, and they're at 57%. We've talked on the show before, VA loans up at 60, 70% debt to income ratios. All of those things are possible and it it is happening in the current market. But it also happened in in the previous market. The one that Jeb and I talk about, his buyer, that we did the 68 or 69% debt to income ratio. That was in uh, 2019 before everything went crazy is that when
0: it was it was it was i thought it was earlier than that i don't know uh, anyway. it was before covid we know that <laughs> it would definitely was that um p-town uh it doesn't really have a question here but just says i fomo panic bought in april of 2022 just outside seattle and landed a 4.3 percent apr so if it's an apr that means the rate's lower than 4.3 uh, 775,000 for a POS really sucks. But based on the numbers, thank God we won the bidding war to get in first time home buyer. So yeah, it's all relative, right? Hindsight is 2020. Um, that said, I really wish I would have locked in last week. I did not. So here I am looking at the market going, what do I do? Do I gamble? I'm gambling, baby. Just whatever. Rates are going to come back down. I'll refinance. What the hell? I'll take an 8%. Let's make this happen. It's
1: not a matter of if, Jeb. It's a matter of when. When could be 20 years from now, but it could be no. 20 months from now.
0: Good. Um, willing. When does it make sense to refinance? Is there a rule of thumb for how much your rate should be lower to offset the closing costs? Are closing costs less for refis compared to purchases? So you have a rule of thumb um, about dividing the loan amount into... Um, or dividing what, 250 into your loan amount? Is that right?
1: 120, 125,000. Oh, so answer. actually we have a follow-up question here from uh, someone else that actually we have a... a, a... A s- example that we can use. So okay. Russell says, my sister bought in February, thirty-year fixed at five point eight five. Borrowed one million, wants to refi as soon as possible. How soon do you think she can refi? Again, Jeb and I don't have the greatest of crystal balls here in terms of telling you when rates will hit there, but what would rates need to be for it to make sense? So let's use that rule of thumb. Take one hundred twenty-five thousand divided by her million-dollar loan. To make a significant enough difference in that monthly payment for it Eighth. to be worth her while, it's only 0.125% in the rate. So 5.85 down to 5.7, 5.6 would absolutely make sense. Now, most people, despite the fact that making financial sense, will say, I want to see a quarter, three eighths, a half percent, even with a million dollar loan, because there's work and effort that goes into this. Um, but in terms of smaller loan amounts, You obviously need a much bigger difference. If you have a $250,000 loan, 125 divided by 250 says you got to move a half of a percent. And people ask, why does this work? Why is this magic? It's not magic. It's just when you run the numbers at a $250,000 loan, if you lower that interest rate a half a percent and show the person, hey, here's what your monthly savings is. Most times they're going to go. Yep, that's good savings. I will take that. During you know the pandemic, we had people that would reach out here on the show and say, "Hey, I'm calling everyone, and they're saying this doesn't make sense for me to refi, but I'm at seven I mean, percent. You have a forty thousand dollar loan, so we take one hundred twenty-five thousand divided by forty thousand. You know, three percent savings to even make it make sense because it's accounting for the effort on your part, the closing costs, and and what goes into that. So your closing costs on a refinance, you can do them no cost and take a slightly higher interest rate. And at that point you have no recoup period on that. You're to the positive from from the first month, but you generally wanna look at closing costs anywhere from 2,500 to say $4,000, depending on the loan size and whether you need an appraisal. You wanna look at that, say, what are my monthly savings? How quickly do I get to the positive? So on top of that Jeb, the last piece that's a rule of thumb when the numbers make sense i always like to show my clients Um, let's say, Russell, your sister comes in here in three years, she only has 27 years remaining on that loan. I like to show them a 27 year loan term, um, because our goal is to get to a freedom point with that home where we either have enough money to pay it off, or we have paid it off. And the best way to do that is to not keep resetting back at 30 years, not take cash out of the property, keep moving towards that payoff date. So want to look at calculating when it makes sense, but also making sure we're not uh, stretching out the payoff date. No, good stuff.
0: Good stuff. So, um, SNN Media says, in the current market conditions where variables are constantly moving, how can a buyer know what the true value of a home is? What are the indicators to know if a ha- uh, if a house is at the right price or overpriced? So, it basically comes down to comparables, but you know, in a in a in a market with little activity happening with little demand you know smaller demands a little bit harder to kind of figure out uh but what i will say is that in a lot of markets out there due to low inventory prices aren't budging a, a lot right uh and so it it really comes back to location you know and not location just you know nationwide but location within your city that sort of thing. So you got to kind of look at all the variables, but look at comparables. I mean, that's really what you're doing. Try to stay up to date. Don't be looking at comparables from six months ago. You know, look at comparables that have sold within the last 60 days, 90 days, um, you know, and and try to look at it like that. And, and you know, where we are, homes are still selling for a pretty good price. I mean, we. I haven't really seen things decline very much, um, if at all. I mean, you know, I listed my home on the market, got a couple of offers, and i the price, what I felt like I pushed the price a little bit and no shortage of, uh, you know, people not willing to, to jump on it. I mean, clearly a shortage, but cause it would have been a lot more had the market been, the man had been higher, but you know, it, it's, it's impossible to say without knowing all everything going on, but I would just say, you know, pay attention to, to, to the most recent stuff out there, but that's really what it is. It's it, what is somebody willing to pay for it? What are you willing to pay? That's that, you know, and, and what is the seller willing to agree to? That those are. That's what you gotta figure out.
1: That, I mean, go back to the definition of market value. It's what a buyer and seller agree to in a free and open market with all relevant uh, information available. So no one has all of the information, but in our market with an MLS, with most of that listing information syndicated to Zillow and Trulia, we're as close to that as we ever have been. So it's it's just important to remember that anyone saying, oh, these homes are overpriced or, hey, I got to steal. If the home was listed in the multiple listing service and marketed well by a realtor, it probably sold at what the market determines its value is today. Doesn't mean it's going to be the same six months, 12 months, 24 months from now, but that's telling you what fair market value is today.
0: No, agreed. Um, let's see. You've got a, a lot of questions around rates. I mean, you know, I, I, I understand why. Uh, but Billy says my landlord is willing to sell his house to us, but we don't qualify for the whole value about two to 300,000 short, but he is willing to sell it to us and pay the difference in three to five years. How does it work? So typically what would happen, Billy, in some instance like this is there would be some seller financing, some, some silent second, something on the backside, uh, of the transaction that shows that you still you know, owe them money. Um, you know, you need to figure out, are they charging you are, are you being financed? Is there a rate on that, that, uh, two to 300,000? Is there any additional payment due? Um, what happens in, in, in three to five years, if you can't pay it, like, I mean, there needs to be some terms set out there. So you fully understand what you're getting into, but that's essentially how it works. Josh, anything you want to add on that? Yeah. Cause it all comes back to the ability to repay.
1: Um, Fannie Mae guidelines, FHA guidelines, VA guidelines, USDA, they will all allow uh, a seller carry for you, but it has to be at market terms and there has to be a payment calculated. So if you don't qualify, you don't qualify. We can't just act like that additional two or $300,000 doesn't exist because they know, the lender knows at some point there's going to be either a balloon or a payment that comes due. So even if the seller says, I don't want any interest. I don't want any payments. In three years, you owe me this money. It can't be ignored. There has to be a payment calculated for that. It has to be at market rates. So uh, what's a market rate? What is the best available rate on a second mortgage right now? Seven, 8%. So you're looking at still having to calculate a payment and qualifying for it unless the seller is willing to carry the entire loan, then whatever the two of you agree to can be done. But if you're needing institutional financing for your first mortgage, we can't just ignore that you have a two or $300,000 second loan.
0: There you go. Uh, Tony, uh, another one of our regulars here says, do you think the Fed will raise rates again at the next two meetings or will they let the lag effect take place and see how the economy is really running once the first of the year comes around? So impossible to say for sure, right? Uh, the Fed has been pretty transparent for the most part about their plans. And, and most recently, um, they've kind of alluded to the idea that high bond yields are doing their work for them. It's keeping uh, the economy restrictive, and you know, less likely that they'll do it because of of where yields are. But I don't, I don't think I, nothing is a hundred percent off the table. I don't know where the Fed probability chart is today, Josh. Have you? I'll look it up real quick here. While you, uh, you want anything you want to add to that?
1: Well, if, if you look, um, <laughs> our best our best insight into this is what have the Fed's members when they're out on the speaking circuit and saying, so it's been a pretty consistent drumbeat for the last 10, days.
0: 96% say we stay where we are at the November meeting. And what's December. December is 62% that we stay where we are. 36% says there's a possibility of a quarter point hike. So
1: if you look at that, I think that's mostly being impacted by nearly all of the fed speakers out there saying, Hey, we are, uh, enough restrictive that we have some time to sit back and look and and see how this plays out. And I think it relates back to all the things we're saying. They're looking at the data that will be coming down the line in two, three, four months in terms of inflation and seeing that inflation is not the problem. Um, And they don't, we've talked about this before, the Fed does not control the actual rates on treasuries, they control the Fed funds rate, but when treasuries and when mortgage-backed securities get sold, buyers and sellers of those, the market determines the price. So what we are seeing is that is getting restrictive, the cost for mortgages, the cost for government borrowing, uh, that will continue to be restrictive regardless of what the Fed does. So I would be really surprised, I wouldn't rule it out. I think that the, the futures market has it pretty correct. They're not gonna do anything at the next meeting. There's a chance they do at the meeting after that, but think about that, we're at October 18th, we've got 45 days before that second meeting there's going to be a lot more information coming out and as we said earlier in the show early in the quarter for whatever reason a lot of the the data that comes out is hot Um, i expect we're going to see some significant softening before then and the fed's probably going to stay out of the way and let this sort of
0: play out there you go uh joyce uh is asking about Heloc. so josh says uh, she asked how HELOCs work. So good news, Joyce. We actually did an episode on this on the podcast, the Educated Home Buyer Podcast. It's a separate channel where you can go watch videos on HELOCs. All the information you need to know. Um, there's also audio. If you just want to listen to that, you can find it on Spotify and Apple. Same name, the Educated Home Buyer. So with that, Josh, if they bought a house today, could they use a HELOC to buy another house in a few years?
1: Well, what do we mean by use a HELOC to access some of your home equity for the down payment? Yes, that can be done. You wouldn't really use a HELOC to as your first mortgage to buy the property. So when we hear this, just actually closed a HELOC for a client today, they took 300,000 out of a house here in California, and they're buying a home in Nashville. So is that possible? Absolutely. Uh, is that going to be the best move or the right move for you? Depends a lot where interest rates are, you know, if we end up three years down the line, you have a 7% first mortgage and interest rates are five and a half and <clears throat> that time you'd probably just do a cash out refinance to access some
0: of your equity good stuff uh go ahead were you saying something i was just gonna
1: say in terms in terms of the heloc i'll while jeb's talking i'll post a link to the youtube uh video of the podcast episode okay we'll about
0: um this one just says uh assuming interest rates stay high six seven eight percent for the next five to six years or more will that affect those with adjustable interest rates today it could um you know if interest rates were to stay high for that period of time i don't think it's likely but you know again anything's possible um yeah it could affect those that that got in with 5 year arms um you know in in five, you know in less than 5 years uh, but i think that the reality the likelihood is that rates are lower at that point and um, would allow them to refinance. Those that got rates today um, in five or seven years, if rates were the same, it really wouldn't affect them, right? They would just essentially refinance into the same rate or just allow it to adjust, in which case, you know, nothing would w- would really happen. Um, they would just be on that adjustable until, you know, uh, they did something to fix it. So, Again, it's one of those questions that's really hard to answer just because you don't know where things are going to be in five or six years. But, you know, rates rarely stay within, you know, a two-point range uh, for that long of a period of time. You see some some sort of fluctuation in one direction. And based on where the economy is now, my guess is that you see lower before you see significantly higher.
1: You know, Jeff, while, while we're on the topic of interest rates, there were a couple of comments here, people saying, Rates are going higher. They're going to get higher. We're going to go double digits. We're going to be at 12%. People are real cavalier when they say things like that, and they don't think this through of what that would actually mean. The average maturity on government debt, so all treasuries in issue, is about six years. So in six years, the majority of government debt will roll over. So let's go back two years. Most of that government debt is sub one percent or in the one to two percent range. So we haven't even begun to feel the smallest bit of the hit of higher rates to government spending. You may or may not have noticed, but we have almost a $2 trillion annual deficit. If we were to keep rates at the current level, forget 10 or 12%, if rates went to 10%, which were at barely 5%, uh, not even yet to 5% on the 10-year treasury. So to get a 10-year mortgage rate, you'd be at 7%. You are talking a tripling of interest expense. Do some research. Go and Google that. See what that does to the government. You might say, I don't care. It just is what it is. That's where it's going to go. If you don't think that's a massive, catastrophic, depression level event, you don't understand economics. So it sounds fun to sit behind a keyboard and say things like, Yeah, they're going to go to 10, 12%. Just it's just the way it's going to be. We have never had 30, 40. trillion of government debt. And over the last 20, 30 years, while the government has been racking up this excessive debt, they haven't felt the pain because rates have gone nowhere but lower. So interest expense has not increased. So again, the idiots in Washington, DC, continue to spend more and more money because over the last 20 years, there's been no pain to spending the money because the credit card bill. That comes due every month is the same. That will not be that way in the future. So you have to think one of two things. Either you're wrong and rates will go lower in the next year or two because the government cannot afford its debt at current interest rates, or you're looking at a catastrophic level event for the U.S. government. Those are really the only two options.
0: No, good stuff. I mean, that's, that's really important. I mean, that's one of the more important things we've said in a very long time. Um, something to, to, to really hone in on if when you're thinking about long-term here. Um, you know, we got a question here that's kind of out of queue, but I'm going to p- push on it just because this bugs the hell out of me. Not the question, but the idea just says you guys should upgrade to business class internet or have the internet provider change your main line and outlet. Well, guess what? We've done all of that. We get <laughs> two gig upload and download speeds here. Do you realize how fast that is? And yet we can't stream on YouTube from here, it is mind-boggling. We've had people come out here and change the router. They've changed everything. Everything is fine, guys. It's like the federal government. Our internet is like the federal government. They come out and they go, everything's fine. Everything is perfect with the economy. Everything is perfect with your internet. (laughs) Little do they know, we're barely getting by over here with the internet. And so is the government. So keep that in mind, guys. Anyway, I move on. I digress. Um, we got a couple questions on builders, Josh. I'm gonna kind of throw all these together uh, because I think they make for kind of uh, you know interesting conversation around builders. Hello, why why do builders offer a lower interest rate than regular lenders? And then we have a question. Where was it here? That do we lose it? Where is it? Oh, this one from Ed saying, I'm 30 days out on closing on a new build. Appraisal came in higher. Lender suggested to ask the builder to raise the list price and use the equity in buying down points. Good idea. So builders are able to offer lower rates because they have margin in on the deal, right? So a builder can say, builders aren't in the business of holding on to homes. They're looking to sell them. They have a profit margin in there. And when things like, you know, happen right now, rates are high in order to get those properties off their books, what they do is they offer incentives. They can offer incentives a lot of times because they own the mortgage company too, or they have ties into the mortgage company. But what they do is they take some profit from one place and, and give it to another place in order to make it look you know more incentivized for a buyer. So they're offering credits. They offer you know credits to buy down rates. That's how they offer lower rates. Sometimes as Josh has mentioned, they're able to go in to these bigger lenders and 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 get pricing at a lower rate because they have so many deals that they're putting together at one time. That could be a reason that that happens as well. Um, Josh, you might have something you want to add on to that, but I wanted to kind of throw that second question to you about uh, using the equity.
1: Just some context to the numbers. Um, builders' margins over the last few years have decreased from thirty percent down into the low twenties. So, if we say a median home price on new construction is four hundred fifty, a four hundred fifty thousand dollar home with a twenty percent margin, there's ninety thousand dollars of profit. Giving up eight or nine thousand dollars to buy down your interest rate is a cost, a small cost, and it's just a cost of doing business. It costs mm-hmm. them much more to keep that on their books with their construction loan for three, four, or five months versus essentially putting a sale price on the home in the form of a lower monthly payment to get it out the door. When you're buying from a private party, the private party doesn't have that margin in there. They're looking to maximize every dollar. So if there's Uh, high supply and low demand in that area a wise seller may look at doing the same thing here's two points go buy your interest rate down Uh, jeb also nailed it on the other piece is a builder knows hey we're going to have 100 units available between this 60 day time frame that are all going to close most of them are going to be conventional there might be a few fhas they can buy forward commitments and also push the rates down lower on that
0: all right another question going to address it here burn it up says have you changed your equipment could be the bottleneck due to low specs well the good news is both of the video cards here both support 4k we can't even stream in 4k we're in 1080p so in theory everything is good and quite frankly we never had this issue until we went to the faster internet so i don't know what the hell is going on here so um but yeah we, we clearly have problems i can do this from home and um I only have one gig upload, download and uh, don't have these issues. So, you know, if you're an Internet service provider, we, we're waiting for Google to get their satellite up there. and We can just connect to it. Yeah. Like Starlink. Um, all right. So, Josh, Matt's getting his real estate license. No longer needs our help. Uh, he's here learning, taking taking his knowledge and is going to apply it to uh, to his clients in the future. So. Congrats there, Matt. Um, I would recommend a crash course prior to the real estate exam. The reason I say that is because nothing you learn in taking those tests is actually regarding real estate for the most part, other than the finance side. Most of it's all legal stuff. If you're going to be like a, a an attorney, a lot of that stuff you need to know. If you're going to be a real estate agent, 99% of it you don't need to know. It's never going to come up. Uh, but crash courses are good because, you know, they it's question answer. Tell you how to beat it every time
1: jeb you got so mad about the internet that we never actually answered the second question ed's question 30 Ah, days out from the new build appraisal came in higher lender suggested to ask the builder to raise the list price and use the equity in buying down points a couple of pieces here um not sure the lender is going to be in a position to do that when the appraisal is ordered we provide a copy of the purchase contract so um Now that the value came in higher, can we edit it? Can we change it? Possibly, but there might be an issue there. The appraiser may look at it and go, why is this changing now? If the file's already been underwritten, the underwriter might be asking why. You probably can do that, um, but it's just something to be aware of. The second piece of that then Jeb is, is that the wise use of equity? Um, If that is the true market value, what it appraises for, are we better having equity in the home or are we better having a lower monthly payment? That largely depends on what you expect uh, the future trend for interest rates is. If you think rates are going to stay here or move higher, then having a lower interest rate for the next three, four, five years would be the better move. But if you think rates are going to move lower in less than five years, I would recommend keeping your hands on your equity.
0: Good stuff. Good, good stuff. Um, Willing is asking if I'm planning on growing a beard in November. My goal is it to didn't, go didn't to even the- wait. I'm not shaving until interest rates get below 6%. I like this idea. We're going to see Rip Van Jeb here in a second. Dude, I'm going strong. I'm going through the end of the year for sure. So that's another two and a half months. So we got two and a half months. I mean, this is going to get out of control, guys. But I'm willing willing to sacrifice for lower rates. That's what it comes down to. I like Uh, it. But yeah, let's see what happens. I should shave my head and do it do both. Uh, anyway, uh, this is a good question from Christina says, is it worth it to put 20% down to avoid PMI and escrow? Josh, we've had this question a lot. I really don't want to have escrow. So, um, explain the question here and, and your thoughts.
1: So you don't have to put 20% down to avoid an escrow impound account for your taxes and insurance. If you put less than 20% down, you will have mortgage insurance and they will collect that monthly and escrow that for you and make those payments onto the mortgage insurance company. But if you're putting 10% or more down, you can avoid or you can choose whether or not you want to have your taxes and insurance impounded. Some lenders charge for that. So you may pay a quarter point worse in fee, not in Interest rate, uh, but most and nowadays give you the option. They don't really care. Uh, so when you look at that, just ask your lender to walk you through what mortgage insurance would cost. Do you qualify with 10% or 15% down, uh, and then how much is the mortgage insurance? Most people are shocked when you get to 10 or 15% down, and if you have good credit, it's a pretty minimal number. So then we ask the question. Am I comfortable with a payment being $75, $175, $220 higher and having five, 10, 20, $50,000 more in the bank? Personal question, only you can answer it, but have your lender quantify it for you, what the mortgage insurance and the higher loan amount is going to increase your payment. And then do you value that money in the bank more than the lower monthly payment?
0: All right, good stuff. Um, let's see here. All right. Um, Let's uh, willing had a question about using a 1099 income with only one year of history. Um, Josh, I've seen that done before going LP. So going a different direction than than typical desktop underwriter, um, just using one year, right? LP
1: will only allow one year if you've been in business for more than five years. So Freddie Mac's automated underwriting system um, defaults to how long you've been in business. What she's saying is someone was W-2 employee and then goes over and starts a new business. So DU, Fannie Mae's automated underwriting system, might give you one-year findings. They might not. So if you don't get one-year findings through DU or you're doing an FHA or a VA loan that requires two years of tax returns, the guidelines say two years. If you're in a a similar line of work and you have at least the one year uh, you may be able to get that approved with a strong file. And the reason for at least one year is 1099 income. We have no idea what the expenses are. You know that the business generated X number of dollars, but you don't know how much it spent to generate that and what the net income is to the business owner. So we need at least one year, um, but it would absolutely be an, an exception unless you were to get one year findings uh, on DU uh, with the automated underwriting.
0: All right. Good, good. Um Matt just followed up and said, uh, he's definitely doing some crash courses. No crash course, just one the weekend before you take the test. That's it. All you need is one and you'll be good. Assuming that you've done, you know, some basic studying of the stuff. Um uh, they, they
1: pour the information in your head and then you go and just spew it out. Yeah, I mean, it got it to
0: it the point, I think annoying. I took one, on uh, my brokers and it was literally like, by the time I got there, I could read a portion of the question. I already knew the answer. I mean, that's how it was done. Um, Kaiser with a question about how do you think an Israel Hamas war might impact interest rates? So, Josh, I'll tell you my thoughts. I I thought we would have seen a bigger impact on uh, tenure and and rates than we have um, already. I don't know if it's just because we haven't seen the progression that I think maybe they they thought was coming yet, Um, but it, it. you know, the, the the thing now is that Biden came out and basically talked about additional spending, I think, which made the market kind of go the other direction that, um, you know, and, and send bond yields higher. So maybe you can elaborate a little bit.
1: The bond markets, the bond vigilantes and just the average American has had enough. Um, like <laughs> we, we just there's there's no more money. There is no more money. So we can always find something that is a moral or righteous cause that people will feel like, hey, we need to do that. We need to support that. Um, but I think more than at any point in my 50 years on this earth, most of most Americans are just like, hey, let's take care of our business here. We're not we're not doing such a great job with America. Let's focus on here. Um, so, yeah, you saw them talking about additional funding for Ukraine, additional funding for Israel. And you start going, cool. It's not like we got money sitting over in the bank to write checks for these people. You're talking we don't need about it. We just issuing, it, issuing more treasury debt that is already at record high yields for the last 20 something years um, because we don't have it. So I uh, it'll be interesting to see how it shakes out. I think our politicians of both stripes are completely tone deaf and think they can just go and say, Hey, we had this wonderful thing that we need to support. And we're going to go issue a couple trillion dollars more debt to pay for it. And most Americans are like, no, I'm cool. Let's worry about us and figure this out here.
0: All right. Uh, Hineas, uh ask a question that you kind of addressed earlier with the with the new construction or the new building um question, but says, is it a good idea to go up in price if you're doing a two-one buy down? So what I could say is if you can do it without going up in price, that's even better, right? If the seller's willing to give you a credit towards a two-one buy down and you and you're dead set on doing that two one buy down, then don't feel the need to raise the price. If if they're saying no to the to the credit, then if the two down the, the lower payment is that important to you and you don't think that rates are going to be able to go lower in the future, you're going to be able to refinance when rates go down and you want to take that, then you could go back to the seller and say, Hey, listen, I'm willing to offer you a little bit more in, in in lieu of you giving me that credit and in, in theory that should work. So really depends on what you're trying to accomplish there. Uh, but I would start with the idea of trying it without raising the price just to see what kind of response you get. But again, it depends on your market, how much inventory, all that good stuff. Uh Josh got a question here just asking, you know, is it better to get an FHA loan today? Um you know, we showed FHA rates in fact I'll just kind of put those back up here. Um this right here says FHA rates are at 7.4 today compared to 8%. So the idea here is that is it better to get uh an FHA loan today because l- rates are lower and if so when would you, you know, refinance? Let's let's eliminate the last part. So let's say 7.4. Once you add the mortgage insurance onto it, you're basically at 8%, right? I mean, assuming, you know, you didn't have to get mortgage insurance with 30 year fixed, it's more or less the same rate. Um, but, you know, well, uh, it's, what it's not thoughts? the same rate because
1: they're not asking on a 20% down loan. Should I do FHA? They're probably looking at a five or a 10% down. So you have to look at your interest rate with your credit score plus your mortgage insurance on a conventional loan and then compare that to FHA. For most people putting less than 10% down, the FHA is gonna have a much lower monthly payment. Um, The the thing you gotta be aware of is with that FHA loan, you have a 1.75% upfront mortgage insurance premium. You don't pay it out of pocket, but it goes onto your loan so you have less equity. So it's important that you're working with a mortgage professional that understands that, that can pencil it out, that can show you the the pros and cons of each one, because there's not a right answer. But in terms of lower monthly payment, FHA is more attractive than it's ever been because of the spreads in interest rates, because they reduced the mortgage insurance a couple of years ago, and it's very competitive with conventional loans. On top of that, the government, uh, in terms of the FHFA, has been changing and increasing loan level price adjustments for conventional loans. So other than, 10% plus down, 780, 800 credit scores. It's more and more attractive. Look at FHA, but it's not a free ride. You got to do the comparison to understand what you're
0: giving up. We almost made it. We almost made it back to the end of the show. A first peak and at the end. Um, Yeah. All right. Good stuff, Josh. Good, good stuff. Uh, We address these questions. Um, We don't really have a lot of new stuff in there, my friend. So Josh, what's on your mind right now? Well, I was I was trying to take a screenshot of the
1: thing where Streamyard is saying my connection is unstable, so I can send it to our friends with our business class internet at Frontier and find out why uh, <laughs> my connection I said, if you're if you're on Wi-Fi, please consider doing using a hardwired connection. Well, that's interesting because I am on a hardwired connection,
0: <coughs> as but, am I. Yeah, I'm hardwired as well, and having the same issues that you are, and and you know. Uh, burn it up. Ask the question about computers. Do we have new computers? Josh went out and bought basically a supercomputer. I mean, it takes the entire
1: brand new i9 with 64 gigs of RAM. It's about
0: as fast a machine as you can put together. And we still can't stream. Mine, on the other hand, isn't quite that, but it's, it's, you know, it's, it's purchased within the last 12 months, 24 months, something like that. Um, So in theory, it should be able to handle some basic, some basic, uh, you know, online streaming. We're not gaming over here. We're just we're just trying to talk to the internet, I'm trying to talk to you guys. That's all we're trying to do. Um, five fifty nine. How many people have liked this, Josh? Fifty five. Only fifty five people have liked us tonight. One of I guarantee you, all of those fifty five aren't even in the room. And there's hundred sixty two people watching. It's disappointing. I think it it might be because you're on the show every week, Josh. I might need to change this up. It maybe I get more likes if I change you up and go go somebody cuter you know? That's impossible. You might find, you might find somebody, but no, somebody better looking might help the views might help the subs. Um, but no, in in all seriousness, if you found any value tonight, help us out, hit that thumbs up, subscribe to the channel, Jeb Smith. If you haven't done so already, if you haven't listened to the educated home buyer podcast, go check that out. Um, oftentimes you guys want to talk to Josh about doing financing or get in touch with a the lender. There's a link scrolling at the bottom of the screen right now. That link will get you in touch with a lender and get you in touch with Josh if he serves that state. If not, it'll get you in touch with David, uh, one of our other mortgage pros out there. Um, somebody, you know, personally know, like, and trust that can guide you through that process. And if you need a real estate agent, that will also get you there too. And it'll get you in touch with me. So that's the easiest way to connect with us. Um, Josh, it's six o'clock. Should we answer another question or should we just should we go bye bye.
1: Well, we've got a great comment here. Wesley is saying that my computer it's overkill on my computer. I am not mining bitcoin. I just believe in
0: overkill at all times. Like Well, I mean, maybe he's killing business. the internet. Maybe the computer is so strong it's, it's that the internet is just drawing can't in all it. of the juice. Yeah, that's maybe that's the problem. But I would say that's the problem. But then I'm streaming. You know, I don't typically have this problem if I'm on a Zoom watching something else. I will say that I don't know so if it's could the you time of day your you
1: think you think it's streamyard's problem.
0: I don't know. I'm trying to think when we do the podcast cuz we film it in Riverside. Do we have these issues? You do the ed- I mean like you do the the thing. Do we have no, it occasionally? Does. Yeah,
1: it does. It goes out in Riverside, so it absolutely does. Okay. Jeff, we had we had a good question here. A good one to end the night on. We're going to give our friend Ricklus Cage Mm -hmm. Final thoughts on the night. Jeb, do y'all think prices have bottomed out in most major markets?
0: Bottomed out? Well, you're going to continue to see year-over-year increases um, just based on the data So um, for the next couple of months. Now, bottomed out? I mean, what are we saying? Bottomed out? Is that the bottom or is that the top? What what are we saying is the bottom, Josh? Well, bottoming out is the bottom. Topping out would be the top. I know, but it's YouTube, so you can kind of like make the words whatever you want them to mean. Um, I, I don't think we've bottomed out. I think, I mean, rates stay high. You're going to see things move sideways and down in some markets for sure. Um, rates improve, maybe that's a bottoming out, uh, but they have to improve quite a bit. I think you got a lot of sideways movement in here, and it's it's just going to be a grind for the foreseeable future. Anybody in mortgage and real estate going to grind um and homeowners home buyers are going to grind it, it just it is what it is for the for the time being i don't see a lot changing unless some some major data comes out or you got war escalation something major something big 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 has to happen in order to see anything happen um in any meaningful way these so
1: just remember uh, these are educated guesses educated because we've both done this a long time um have feelings on what is likely to come next we go back to the top of the show we talked about seasonality because rates have spiked because we're going into a low part of the year i think we're likely to see some of what we saw last year for the next couple of months Um, There's there's momentum carrying into the data that will have month over month increases. I think we're going to see through the winter months. So December, January likely to see some negative year over year numbers. My expectation is that rates will improve um, probably four, five, six months out, which puts us right at the beginning of the year, right when people get back into the market. And we're likely to see a replay of what we saw last year. We saw rates dip at the beginning of the year. People come out of hibernation around Super Bowl time and get out and buy homes. So does that mean seven, eight, 10 double digit percentage increases? Absolutely not. But I think the next, the year ahead is going to look a lot like this last year, a soft winter some thawing and, and improvement in the spring. And at the end of the year, you're gonna look back and see minor appreciation. But again, educated guests based off of experience. And the most important thing we can do is sit here and analyze the data. As for today, um, everything bearish in interest rates. If you're in the market, make sure you're locked. And let's keep watching, see for some slowing data in the economy and see if that trickles down into interest rates so that Jeb can refinance
0: next year. <laughs> anyway uh appreciate you guys all the support um again appreciate the likes and follows uh, the subs all that good stuff it does help and um we'll be back next wednesday guys until then au revoir au revoir peewee thanks for listening to the educated Home Buyer. want to connect with us or to a local expert in your area please reach out at the educated slash expert If you found any value today, please be sure to rate and review us on your favorite podcast platform. In addition, we ask that you share it with your friends and subscribe to us on YouTube and make sure to follow us on social media. Thanks again for listening.